श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए श्री अनुकूट महोत्सव की जाए श्री गोवर्धन पूज्य महामोत्सव तिथि की जाए ग्रंथराज श्रीमद भागवत की जाए ओम प्रेमानंद सो गुड मॉर्निंग एवरीवन वेलकम सो दिस मॉर्निंग वी गैदर फॉर डिस्कशन concerning the anukut sometimes it's called or the govardhan puja and this is a a uh, a festival celebrated throughout india and by extension through various spiritual uh, lineages such as ours in other parts of the world in fact all over the world as well in in india at this time especially in the north it corresponds with the harvest of the grain so it's a harvest festival it's a festival of of uh of kind of a thanksgiving festival if you will uh acknowledgement of the bounty of life and um the source of that bounty and how to relate with that source um in a profound and intimate manner <clears throat> and so while the occasion and the festival and the festivities and so forth have a very um kind of down to earth side to them they have a very deep internal and esoteric side uh to them as well mm-hmm. down to earth means again celebration of the for the bounty of life and acknowledgement of where our our sustenance comes from and so forth is uh is uh, very much what this um this festival is about and it has deep theological uh implications esoteric implications in terms of uh the source of uh, of the source of our material sustenance and the difference between ourselves and matter and and the way in which we can make union in intimacy with that uh source as a unit of consciousness we can make have union with our conscious source so a very comprehensive type of um festival <clears throat> and it comes in the 24th chapter of the shrimad bhagavatam it begins and it's discussed over four chapters from 24 through through 28 first to describe the uh, events leading up to the uh, festival the reaction the result that came from the festival and then the next two chapters are an afterthought on the significance of the events and the um repentance if you will on the part of the the uh the heavenly uh denizens the gods goddesses 
um, for their 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 role in the whole affair. So that has to be discussed. But at any rate, four chapters of the Bhagavatam. <clears throat> so it's a substantial uh, lila. Lila means an, a divine play. So. Um, a very substantial lila. We have the Brahma Vimohana lila, which covers three chapters, also very important. There and here, this, this Govardhan lila covers four chapters. There are some similarities. Krishna's position is established in both of them in different ways. In the Brahma Vimohana lila, he's established as the source of Narayan, Krishna's two Bhagavan, Swayam. And in this lila, he's established as Govinda or Upendra means the, uh, the god of the gods, so to speak. So we'll discuss all this to some extent. <clears throat> but the 24th chapter follows the 23rd chapter. <laughs> In the 23rd chapter, we, we find that Krishna and his friends are at quite a distance on the outskirts of the Braj, the mandal, the circle of the, of the, of the Braj, near the, the city uh, of, uh, of Mathura. And there they were far from home and hungry, and it was suggested that they, uh, they suggested Krishna and Ram to their friends that go ask the wives of the Brahmins who are performing some sacrifice for some of the remnants of the sacrifice that we may have some lunch. <clears throat> and the wives, of course, uh, very readily were, were quick to offer um, whatever they had, but the husbands were in opposition. <clears throat> and so the, uh, the chapter that precedes this tells us something about ritualistic worship and um, the pleasing of the gods and and so forth and how that to what extent that has any bearing on bhakti on the tradition of um, of of the, of the direct culture of love of God. Mm-hmm. Um, there we found that when Krishna's friends went and um, asked for remnants from the sacrifice. By carefully studying the language and the text and so forth, we, we can see that they actually knew all the details of how to perform such um, ritualistic sacrifices that are enjoined in the, in the, in the Dharma Shastras, in the Karmakanda section of the Veda, in the general discussion of religion, hmm? where there's a sacrifice of, of something in order to get something in return, which is the general idea of religion. I'm willing to give up something as long as I can get something back. Hmm. Um, this kind of a religious approach is rejected in the Bhagavatam. Hmm. Yeah, this is an approach that doesn't bring us close to ourselves, neither to, to our source. Hmm. We think in material life that by adding something on to our lives, our lives will improve. And the fact of the matter is, by letting go of the things that we've collected 
and have falsely claimed proprietorship over when in fact nothing really belongs to us. Hmm. And time will take it all away from us and prove that to us and is proving it to us as time ticks and goes on. Hmm. Uh, so the letting go of things causes us to uh, to grow, to expand, and the taking of things causes us to... to uh, uh, not does not beautify us, it, it clutters our life. So if then we make a sophisticated approach to adding things on by asking God to add things on to us, to give us material things, for example, and it said, and I many times cited it, the best things in life are not things. This is to be considered. Hmm? Uh, to ask God for things is, is not a very bright thing to do Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) when in fact we are not things but we are that which experiences things and gives meaning to things consciousness gives meaning to matter matter wouldn't matter if there weren't consciousness to think about it to care about it to feel about it to animate it so to speak so the, the, the animator, the, the consciousness, the, the, the experiencer is far more important than the things. The subjective reality is far more important than the objective reality. Consciousness is infinitely more important, more valuable than matter. This is the basic idea. So to have a religious system whereby we, in a sophisticated way, perform a sacrifice or a prayer or something that, that may be enjoined in sacred texts and so forth, um, but for the purpose of adding things onto our life. It's not some a, a practice that will bring us very close even to ourselves as a unit of consciousness, what to speak of, to our source, the Godhead, that we are a kind of a spark of the fire of. Hmm? Still, there are such procedures mentioned in the sacred text, and um, it, and in one way or another, one sense or another, this is the general idea of religion. It has a purpose um, other than the things that it allows us to pursue. It waves a carrot in front of us. If you want this thing, you just have to do this. Acknowledge God in this way, acknowledge God in that way, and you'll get the thing. So we should not think that the things um, which are the motivating factor hmm, for the worship of God are any more than that if, as a result of pursuing the things in a godly way, we develop affinity for God, hmm, then we can let go of the things and come closer to ourselves and to God. But a lot of people, most people, don't do that. <laughs> They're attached to religion for the sake of things. And, uh, <clears throat> and material acquisition, and to go to heaven with your family and friends and your car and your house, and, and so on and so forth. So this, this is why one of the reasons why religion is not as popular um, uh, in, today, in today's world because it seems a little hollow, a little shallow, a little empty. Hmm? Um, but it's 
speaks to us, its heart speaks to us about sacrifice, the principle of sacrifice, the principle of giving, that by giving you will grow, that by giving you will live, giving is the getting, and so forth. So this giving that's called for in the religious orientation to life in the sacred text of India is what we're supposed to get out of religious practice. The idea, that is, that giving is is what life is about. Hmm? But we're encouraged to give by by the carrot that's waved. You'll get a good son, you'll get a good husband, you'll get a good daughter, a good wife, if you perform this sacrifice and face this way and put this in the fire with this mantra, and so on and so forth. And those rituals uh, seem to work also, which is which is interesting. So... It, uh, if we if we do them properly, then we 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 get the material thing and we get accustomed to giving. And as we grow in terms of giving, then we can give not things but give ourselves. But we put ourselves on the altar, and the conventional sense of self, our egoic sense of self, our sense that I'm 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 a Latin, I'm a Caucasian, I'm an I'm, 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 I'm a Negro, I'm Asian, I'm black, I'm white, I'm man, I'm woman, I'm from Santa Rosa, I'm from Mendocino, uh, I'm from San Francisco, I'm San Franciscan, I'm American. I mean, all these are examples of the conventional, I mean to say, sense of self. It's an egoic sense of self. It's a sense of self that can't um, endure the test of time. Hmm? So that sense of self has to be sacrificed, mm. self-sacrifice. Sacrifice the false idea of yourself that's based on your attachments. We are kind of defined. Our I is defined by our sense of my. It's my, my town, so I'm a Santa Rosan, or I'm a, you know, it's my country, so I'm an American. Hmm? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's my race, so I am a, uh, you know, an Indian. That may be the case. But um, this my really is illusory because it's, something is only ours as much as we can keep it. And as they say, everything is common in English, English parlance. It said that the things of the world are here today and gone tomorrow. And part of these things, some of these things are these ideas these 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 uh, notions that I'm an American, I'm uh, I'm an African, I'm a European, uh, um, and so forth. No, I'm 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 a person that can make those the type type of determinations. I'm consciousness, and I can make a determination that I'm American, and I could could change my passport and identify with another country and make myself an Argentinian. Hmm? Um, but who's doing the making? Who's doing the identification? Hmm? I might not. I might wake up one morning and say, "I don't like my life. I don't like myself." So who is the I that doesn't like the self? Hmm? So that's the that's who we are. That I hmm? that should be pursued. That self, that conventional self of self, that can all change. Hmm? And it will change in a big way the more we identify with the I that we are, the experiencer. Hmm? How we, when we understand our self to be consciousness, relate to the world will be very different than the way that we do. When we lose sight of the, the fact that we're 
the, the knower, the experiencer, the witness. We are consciousness, not matter. We'll feel full and fulfilled. We won't need to take. As much as we identify with the conventional sense of self, we have to take to maintain it, to sustain it. As much as we're taking, we're not giving, we're not loving. So, in this way, the Bhagavatam speaks about knowing the self and knowing the, our, our, our source and uniting ourselves with our source in love, uniting the spark of consciousness with the, the, the reservoir of consciousness, so to speak, the spark with the fire, in a dynamic sense, a union in love, a union that doesn't cancel out our individuality as a unit of, uh, of consciousness, <clears throat> makes for eternal, reciprocal dealings with the Absolute. So, this previous chapter is all about this, uh, much about this ritualistic worship, worship and the friends of Krishna, the intimate friends of Krishna, who are part of this whole discussion, they are not, uh, it's demonstrated there, they're not ordinary people. They have seen, they know all about these ritualistic sacrifices and so they're not interested in them. Hmm? It means that one who comes to bhakti has passed through these lower, this lower idea of religion. What to speak of religion, even mukti, liberation from material existence. Salvation is a small thing in relation to prem and love and the prem, the love that, that these um, have inhabitants, friends of Krishna's associates, family members and so forth as they're portrayed uh, exemplify. Hmm? So here we come into the 24th chapter and um, and the, uh, the arrangement for this big sacrifice, another sacrifice, that has engaged the whole of the, the brudge, all of the people, for Indra. The arrangements are being taken place. And it's a big arrangement because it's extending out not only where Nanda and Yashoda live and Krishna's home in this immediate area, but out to the outer regions of the brudge. Krishna is been out there and he's taken notice that this Indriyagya is being arranged for and everybody's involved in it. We just saw the rituals of the Brahmins to be empty because they didn't honor the vet, they didn't bring one in touch uh, with, uh, with, their, with their source, mm-hmm. who is their real sustenance, sustenance and, uh, and so forth. Um, and so now Krishna is seeing the whole brudge is engaged in this. And the idea here is that, the, that it's, it's a big, big, a big event. So these types of um, rituals in the ordinary religious idea are big events. They require um, resources in the Hindu context and so forth uh, to please the gods and the goddesses. Is it a troublesome affair? You've got to gather up um, uh, so many um, uh, grains and, and follow so many rules and regulations and so forth to do it right and uh, and uh, and the result is very very little in terms of what we really live for we're living for love and the amount of love found in that is is very little as I've often said as much as there are rules and laws 
there's not love. And where there's love, there's no need for rules. Rules, laws are fulfilled. Hmm? So Krishna wants to take us from this lower idea where where love is very much overshadowed by rules and regulations and and so forth, the karmakanda section, the dharma marg, the karma marg, to brahm, to love, in braj. We see, see the contrast between the indra yagya, which was gone, was, was taken place for many, many years, hmm? and it, everybody was involved in it, so it was a big, big event, um, and there was a specific way to do everything and so forth, and... Uh, uh, everyone was concerned with it. Um, and then Krishna will convince Nanda Maharaj that no, you don't have to do this. We should just worship Govardhan Hill. And he starts making it up on the spot how you will do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you get some kitchari and some soup and some sweet rice and sandwich and all these nice preparations. We'll offer them to the hill. And then we'll circumambulate the hill. We'll, 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 venerate the cows and the learned Brahmins and he kind of makes it up on, on the spot, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the main focus of it is, is, is to, to uh, uh, cause, get the people of Braj to identify with something that is really essential to them. That's mm-hmm. dear to them, to love that which is dear to you. Mm-hmm. Who cares for the God in the sky is basically what he's saying here. He's different from us. Hmm? There's a difference between the God in the sky and us. They live on, they don't come down, they don't eat with us. <laughs> we offer them food and yagyas in ways that we don't eat. We say, oh, and throw something in the fire, and the God eats in some way. This is different than sitting at the table or, you know. Um, around with your family and sharing uh, the meal. They're the gods and ourselves. We are, uh, we are different. So um, he wants to... Um, so Krishna, anyway, the Leela proceeds. Krishna's a young lad. He's about seven years old, but he's mature for his age, so he has the mentality, disposition of about an 11-year-old. And uh, he asked his father... What's this thing all about? Anyway, the whole Braj is involved in this. It's been going on for years. I've seen it over my childhood. And uh, why are you gathering to perform this yogi and making such a big commotion? Hmm? The Bhagavatam is always walking a tightrope, so to speak, between Madhurya and, and Aishwarya. The book wants to show Krishna as the Godhead, the Supreme Godhead, and at the same time the intimate sweet friend of the, those souls who choose to to pursue intimacy with, with the Godhead through bhakti. Hmm? Um, so here Krishna knows the sacrifices for Indra. Hmm? But if he comes out and just speaks about it from the perspective of Vedanta and gives the bhakti siddhanta directly, that may um, overshadow his sweetness. So rather than speaking Vedanta or the Bhakti Siddhanta, he chooses to speak about karma mimamsa, sankhya, nyaya, and so forth, these other um, um, uh, philosophies than the one that, that by which he can be attained, known, uh, and, and so forth. 
And he kind of speaks about him in, to, to, to one extent or another in a charm, in charming ways, um, in, in ways that could be defeated by Bhakti Siddhanta, by, by Vedanta and so forth. Um, but anyway, enough he speaks about them to be convincing to, uh, to Nanda Maharaj that, um, in, in the charm, really, of a young boy speaking philosophy and trying to change the, the father's mind as to uh, the performance of a yogya sacrifice, a religious performance that's been going on for for generations and generations, the whole communities involved in it. Imagine the power of Krishna's speech. It wasn't really his arguments, his acquaintance with different uh, philosophies in part and so forth that caused Nanda Maharaj to forego the sacrifice, but the charm of a young boy speaking philosophy, and he did it so charmingly. It's full and rich and, uh, with uh, Vatsalya Rasa, the beginning of the Slila, how Nanda Maharaj is overwhelmed by the charm for, he has for his son to forego something that's been it's a big event that, as I say, the whole community is involved in since forever. Hmm? The cowherd community is doing this. Worshipping the god of heaven, Indra, as he's, he means the chief of the gods, who presides over the, over the weather, over the rain. This is a cowherd community, so in order for them to survive, the cows need good grass. In order for there to be grass, there needs to be rain, so they had reason that we shall worship the, the rain god. He's more than the rain god. Indra means the chief of the, of the, of the gods. And in, in Indian, in Hinduism, then they, uh, the tendency would be to personify all the prominent influences of nature that we're dependent upon, like we're dependent upon sun in order to see. We're dependent on rain in order to have, uh, you know, the uh, growth. Sun also for the growth of the food and so forth. And we're dependent upon the moon and stars in different ways. So um, other prominent manifestations of nature, the waters and so forth. We're dependent upon these things for our sustenance. So it was a very gracious, the Hindu society kind of society, where they would show regard for the the sun and the moon and uh, and 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 uh, the trees and uh, all powerful manifestations of nature that they were um, that were facilitating their livelihood, hmm? and they would project them. Then uh, they would personify them. Hmm? So a god for the rain, a god for the sun, and so forth, and they would. From a philosophical point of view, it would be seen by the rishis that there is consciousness behind matter. As I said earlier, the body is dependent upon us, hmm? consciousness as we understand it. And things take on a life when consciousness identifies with the things by the word my, and so on and so forth. So the, this is in a macrocosmic sense, microcosmic sense. So in a macrocosmic sense, the whole of nature is animated by consciousness. Hmm? So... The, and consciousness kind of connotes personhood, hmm? um, sense of sense of self, and so forth. So they would see persons hmm, behind nature. They would see that, that philosophically that there's a source, 
a conscious source to the world that animates it. We're a spark of that source. We animate in our small circle in some detail, um, but in the larger sense, the whole of the uh, matter is animated by consciousness. And with regard to details in the macrocosm, there then, then there are agencies, hmm, deputed agencies of of uh, partial uh, kind of manifestations of the reservoir of consciousness to detail to 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 to, to preside over a particular detail. Hmm? So these aren't as, as superstitious ideas as they might sound. Um, as at first, when we speak of a rain god and a sun god and a goddess behind this and that and so forth. And overall, again, the whole community, the Hindu community, is is looking at nature with, with a sense of gratitude. They understood philosophically and theoretically that there's a difference between myself and matter. I'm consciousness and I'm animate. Matter is inanimate. I animate matter. Hmm? The, the task in life is to separate myself from my involvement with matter through the word my, my possessiveness, and know myself. Hmm? Become free, in a way, by letting go, as I said, that we could never experience by taking and by collecting. Hmm? This was their uh, general you know, philosophical um, uh, sense. And... Um, in the context of that, they lived a life full of gratitude and appreciation of nature. This is a little different than the European idea where Descartes, for example, was the beginning of this uh, um, uh, uh, substance dualism, the, the difference between consciousness and matter idea. But he saw, while well, he saw himself and humans as different from matter, um, he also advocated not a very gracious approach to to nature. Hmm? Those those kind of thoughts gave rise to the raping of nature and the environmental crisis coming in the wake of the industrial society and so forth that we are in, uh, experiencing today. Hmm? The pillaging of nature and so forth. I mean, and the, the distancing of humanity from nature, the isolating. Hmm? If this was kind of the beginning of that. Then, not that his um, uh, Cartesian dualism is, is very popular today in, in, in the West, uh, but um, my point is that we, we think there is some value to what he said. There is, we, we are also, in a sense, substance dualists. We think there's a difference between consciousness and matter, a categorical dif- difference. But in India, the thinking about that, which preceded the, 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 the genius of, of Descartes, for example, in Europe, the thinking that there was a difference between matter and consciousness saw not only that I am consciousness, hmm? self-consciousness, I am different from matter, but that consciousness pervades matter. Consciousness is what makes it move, and so there's consciousness within all animation, and it it should be regarded. The form that it's in is the only thing that restricts it from being all that it can be. If a self a unit of consciousness is in a tree body, it's, it's restricted by that. It can't even experience I'm, and its individuality, its, its selfhood, but it can experience what trees can experience. 
what the animal can experience, different degrees of pain and uh, perception uh, of happies and sads and so forth. Human life gives us the self-perception, hmm? which is, to be, if we've pursued properly, which is the end of the happies and sads, the dualities of goods and bads and so forth. So anyway, they had a very broad understanding of, of, of consciousness that uh, caused them to live with great gratitude. So they would respect the, 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 the uh, powerful manifestations of nature that their livelihood was dependent upon and so forth. So this Indra sacrifice was something to do with that. I've given an example before that if you have in your house a button that you press and it turns on the heat. If you have a switch and you flick it and it turns on the light. Hmm? If you have a valve and you twist it, it puts on the water. We need light, we need water, we need heat, right? And if you go outside, you have a box and you open it up. What do you find in there? You find a bill for heat, for light, for water. There's somebody on the other end, in other words. That person has to be acknowledged. So the, the Vedic idea is, to, is the water that we have, the light that we have, the heat that we have in the world. There's somebody on the other end that should be acknowledged. And there are different ways and different measures by which that 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 um, that uh, source will be acknowledged. That will determine, you know, on a scale, the value of, uh, of 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 religious approaches. And the Bhagavatam standard is sangsidi raditoshanam. The extent to which that source is satisfied is the extent to which our religion is is meaningful. Hmm? And so this Leela wants, wants to talk about the, how to satisfy that source to the fullest measure. So Krishna interferes with Indra Yajna, not to say that that to regard the the the, 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 the consciousness behind rain and light and so forth is bad. He wants to say there's more than that. This is a limited idea. Hmm? And so he begins to argue with his father. Hmm? Why are you doing this? sacrifice in the first place. Do you know what the purpose is? By that he wants to say to us that much of religious, ritualistic uh, religious life is engaged in without knowing the purpose behind it, kind of mechanically, without thinking it out, and that there's not going to be much of a result from that. This carries into bhakti as our, our tradition as well. Rupa Goswami uses the word niyamagraha. He says that there are some... Um, rules to follow, but if we don't know the meaning behind them, hmm, then uh, we don't know when to break them. (laughs) Rules are meant to be broken. Hmm? Again, I said earlier, where there's love, there are no rules, ultimately. Much as there are rules, that's a breakdown of of love. So if we know the rules, we know the meaning behind them, then, and 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 we are embracing that, that meaning, then what value are the rules in and of themselves? So it's considered to be detrimental to bhakti to be mindlessly um, engaging in those um, limbs of bhakti, if you will, those, those, those things which constitute um, bhakti. So... From the very onset, we are, we are taught in bhakti that mindfulness here uh, is important. You should know why you're doing it. 
means that you have to engage your intelligence also. And this engagement of intelligence in bhakti is what will make one's bhakti steady. When we don't know why, we haven't thought it out so well, there's a greater tendency than to succumb to something less and to forego the vows and uh, and so on and so forth. That knowing why, that whole scriptural um, um, canon, you know, the Bhagavad here, for example, is meant to give us a thousand and eight reasons as to why. And, uh, and that's, it gives us... Um, uh, it corners us, so to speak, makes it difficult to do otherwise, to regularly hear the Bhagavatam. Therefore, it said, Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. Bhagavati Bhakti Raya. What is it? No, what is that verse? It says, Nasta Praeshu Abhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. It means by, if you're going to regularly, always, continually, Nityam, study the Bhagavatam. Then you got to use your intelligence. You got to study the commentary. What's the significance? So on and so forth. And and nasta prayeshu abadreshu, that which is abadra, which is inauspicious, hmm? which takes me away from bhakti and so forth. That which is something within myself hmm? that will be practically done away with hmm? for all intents and purposes. The influences of Rajaguna, Tamaguna, and so forth. Huh? Mm-hmm. So it's important, Krishna is saying here, in discussing with Nanda Maharaj, hmm, that when asking, why are you doing this? What's the purpose behind it? Hmm? You know, there's the story of the fellow who was giving the Bhagavad Gita class. Hmm? And so while he was giving the class, one morning a cat came. And the cat started meowing. And so the meowing was a disturbance to giving the class. So the, the guru said, put a leash on that cat, tie the cat to the tree, and give the cat some milk. Hmm? And so the cat would drink the milk and then wouldn't meow. So next morning, again, class came, again the cow came. Guruji said, get the rope. Tie the cat, give the cat some milk. Again, they tied the cat. Next morning, again, the cat came. So after a while, it just became automatic. The cat comes, you tie it before the class, the cat comes, you tie the cat up, you give the cat some milk. And so this was going on without Guruji, you know, having to tell anybody to do it. It was understood. And then the guru passed away, and the successor guru came, and the cat passed away. But the cat's kitten came. Hmm? <laughs> and so the kitten would meow, and they would tie the kitten up, and this way, give the milk, and, and so forth. So every day, for two you know, successive terms of, 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 of gurus, then before the Bhagavad Gita, they would have the ritual, if you will, of tying up the cat. And then the next, that guru passed, and the third guru came, and he came to give the class, and um, there was no cat. So he said, I can't give the class if there's no cat. <laughs> he couldn't give a class because there was a cat. 
to start with, right? Hmm? And then it became so bad that he thought, we can't give a class without the cat. We've got to get a cat. Find a cat, bring the cat, give the cat some milk, tie up, then we can give the class. So this is the way in which uh, an example of a nice story of which uh, illustrates the point that we may mindlessly go about various rituals and we have to store it out. What's essential and what's not. So Krishna's speaking to Nanda Maharaj about this and he wants to sort out what's essential, what's not. Hmm? Nanda Maharaj is a little reluctant to reply to him because he's just a seven-year-old boy. And this is a sacrifice that's been performed by the grandfathers and the great-grandfathers and the great-great-grandfathers. And it just, you know, it's something we do. And if there's some simple reasoning to it. Well, we're cowherd people. Cows depend on grass and grass is dependent on rain. So... You know, we do this thing to appease the rain gods and make sure we get good rains and something like that. And he, he, he has a general kind of idea. But Krishna presses, he says, is it enjoined in the scriptures? Does it come from the Guru Parampara? Or is it just something that you've, you know, made up? Hmm? He's pressing on him like this. Father is a little, uh, as they say, reluctant to answer because he can't really fathom the, the, the idea that his son would actually have such profound thinking and that this that that it could overturn this whole procedure that's been going on as I say for generations so when he expresses some reluctance Nanda Maharaj to answer kind of he's kind of dismissive of Krishna Krishna challenges on him on that he says he says look we're you know we're family we love one another Amongst you know those friends who love one another, there are no secrets, hmm? there's, and there's no difference in love. There's no difference, so you should not be reluctant to share with me. Hmm? So it's a very nice point. Basically, he's he's making the point that that um, for those. That, as I've said many times, if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So relationships that are short of love, full face of love, then they're not going to be afford intimacy. They're not going to. And so the relationship with Indra is one of difference. He's different from us. He's up there. We're down here. He's the God. We're the humans, and and um, he 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 wants to say that um, that I'm closer to you than than Indra. Even you should be you know sharing with me what 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 this is about, and we might decide you and me that we shouldn't even worship the guy. Hmm? <laughs> I mean, we, I'm more important to you. Love people who love you are more important to you than than those who you've got just some you know some kind of business arrangement with, you're, you're worshipping him for rain, hmm? to get something from him. Hmm? I have given myself entirely to you, so you should be more intimate with me, you shouldn't hold back. Then he goes on to say as well, and for that matter, you know, what's important, he's saying, is friends. Friends are important. Hmm? Things that are close to you, the closer, the dearer to you, the more important they are and um, more attention they should be given. And as far as neutral parties, 
in, 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 in the religious world, they're friends and they're enemies. Hmm? Again, there's differences. There's the gods and there's the humans. In the religious conception, there's my religion and then there's your religion. Hmm? And my religion is right and your religion is wrong. So this ordinary religious idea creates differences. It doesn't get at the heart of what we all have in common and give us direct experience of that, that we're all consciousness and so forth. Hmm? So Krishna's beginning to, to kind of shed light on the shortcoming of this ordinary uh, religious idea. And then he speaks about uh, first the world of friends and enemies, and then there's those who are neutral. He says, we don't even care for them. Neutrality. Hmm? Those who are neutral. So jnanis, they're neutral, right? No friends, no enemies. Krishna says, no, we want friends. (laughs) We don't want, I don't see no friends, I see no enemies. Bhakti is full of a bias. It's a well-reasoned bias. Love is a bias. Hmm? Um, But it's in its its full expression, love of God. In praying, it expresses itself universally nonetheless. Hmm? Um, But the small idea of love of God, religious idea, this creates friends and enemies, my religion, your religion. Then there's the Gyanis idea of neutrality. He says, you know, neutral people, they see you equally um, as they see your enemy. So who cares for them? <laughs> so he's speaking, he's also speaking say, about the nature of the bias of, of bhakti. Bhakti is very much uh, love psychology you know, taken to the extreme, the beauty and the most uh, uh, um, becoming feature, the most wonderful uh, ornament of Krishna amongst all of his qualities is that he's partial to his devotees. If he weren't partial to his devotees, then the devotees wouldn't be partial to him. Hmm? So, um, in this way, he's dismissing Gyan. He's dismissing the uh, the Dharma Marg. Hmm? And he says, so, uh, and he gives different, as I said, philosophical reasons as well that um, uh, for, to for, forego the philosophy, the, the, the yogya. But for the most part, it's his charm. And he's emphasizing uh, their relationship. You and I are one in love. And as far as things that are important to us, then, he says, well, you're doing this for rain, for the cows, but why don't we just worship the cows, he says. Why don't we just worship the cows? Hmm? Rather than the God in heaven who gives rains, we're directly dependent upon on the cows, and the cows love us, and we love the cows. We're so intimately involved with them. You know, we, we raise them. We, we live on their milk. Hmm? The trade of the milk products brings us other essentials and so forth. So there's this bond between us and the cows, who we see as our, as a, like a like a mother to us, hmm? so close to us. So I see we worship some indirect way a guy that gives rain, and and that's dependent upon doing the karmic activities, the yagyas, the enjoined activities. So he's dependent on karma. So why bother to worship him? He, something something superior to him that he's dependent upon. 
he says, like, that's like throwing, you know, ghee into, into the ashes rather than into the fire. Hmm? Let's find the source. So he comes to the cows. It's a really nice idea, actually. Krishna advocates in this Govardhan Leela to Maharaj, we should worship the cows. Go Vardhana, go Vardhana. Vardhana means to increase, and cows mean, go means cows, to, to that which nourishes the cows. So what's important directly is the cows. This is a cow worship <laughs> um, idea here. Hmm? Now, that seems rather like lame, maybe in modern society, you're going to worship cows. Um, okay, and that's it's considered maybe from a Christian point of view, heathenistic and so forth, but there's a lot of good reasoning to this. Hmm? There's a lot of good reasoning. The Vedas say things like Gosukta, it says, uh, that the, 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 the um, sacrifice is born from cows. The Vedas are born from from the cows. The devas, the gods, the goddess, they're born from the cows. What kind of idea is this? This cow religion? You know, they think it's some primitive people who are worshiping their cows. It, it, it's a very deep idea. And from a practical point of view, let's look from a modern point of view. Even if we take a modern um, Let's say, uh, what's uh, the term? Uh, 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 evolutionary kind of point of view. What role does the cow play? If we look at the world from an evolutionary point of view, that most people, many people look at it from, then we find the cow has such importance to human society. There's absolutely no question about it. The cow is the most important animal hmm, in the animal kingdom from a human perspective. Previous to the the domestication of cows, and some people say the cows domesticated the humans, not that the humans domesticated the cows, they lent themselves, in other words, so much to domestication hmm, that they brought man, humanity, man and woman, out of the woods, out of hunting and gathering. They stopped man to an extent from killing the animal because it was understood that if we keep the animal, hmm, we can plow the field rather than just killing the animal with the strength of the bull, for example, and we can do agriculture. We can produce enough food with keeping one bull hmm, for a whole year. Whereas if we kill a bull, and eat him tonight, you know, well, we've got a couple of weeks of food there. Hmm? But if we keep one bull and he tills the field, we grow agri- we grow grains and so forth, we can stock the uh, canned foods. and it, So it, it caused hu- humans to stop hunting and gathering. The cow did. Hmm? Humans were moving everywhere, right, from one place to another. The cow stopped humans from moving. They moved only in a certain area, an area big enough to pasture the herd. But they were able to stay in one place and with the help of the cow do things. So cities began from cows, actually. They ended up not facilitating cows when the cities became industrialized and so forth. And that brought on pasteurization and there's been problems like that. But these cows, they actually, they they domesticated, it's, it's a valid argument, they domesticated the, the humans. They took humans out of the woods. 
from hunting and gathering. And so they are very, uh, and then they, and they, of course, they give the, by tilling the field, they give the, they, 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 they gave us uh, the, the grains and so forth. And then from, um, from the, from the, uh, the cow herself, the milk, and there's a perfect food, hmm? Uh, milk and it can be made into so many other foods and so nourishing and so on and so forth that people see how close the cows are to us that that a a woman a mother what could be more dear to the mother than the child hmm, feels comfortable taking the child off of her own breast and giving her the cow's milk Hmm. what could be closer to the child and its nourishment and sustainability and so forth and the mother's breast and the cow's a substitute. How close she is to human society then. Hmm? How important this is to human society. So Krishna's emphasizing the point that we're cowherd people, that they were they were they were they, they owned cows, the cows were their livelihood, they grazed the cows, they sold the milk products and so forth. They were agriculturalists. Hmm? So he said, what's dear to us is the cow. And he's saying to human society here, cows are important. When the sages at Naimisharanya heard that in the future people would be killing cows, they couldn't believe it. This was in you know centuries past. I mean, they couldn't believe it. humans will kill cows? How could it be possible? I mean, they, if they want to eat something, you know, besides grains and meat, there are other animals that you can kill that don't provide don't, don't do such a service to human society, that aren't as close to human society, that are like family members. Hmm? In India, a cow would be kept in a house to keep the cows warm. You know how much heat the cow puts out? They have a room, you know. And, uh, <laughs> so so um, it's, uh, this, this point could be you know, developed. Hmm? Krishna's speaking about it here to people who are readily um, susceptible to it. You know, they, 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 yes, they're cow people. Yeah, no, that makes sense and so forth. Now we have to make pe- sense to people on the basis of this centuries later when human society has been much uh, abusing the cow, mother cow. So cow is sacred in India for good reasons, the most sacred animal. And so much was derived, their whole livelihood was derived from the cow. And again, this is has much to do with the development of human society. If we turn against then the cow, this is this is the the the, this, the, the epitome of of of, of lack of, of gratitude, living with gratitude, hmm? which is just like the beginning of real human life to show gratitude, just to say thanks, and so forth, hmm? to express love, thank you. It's just a very rudimentary form of love, thank you. Hmm? Humans can do that. Some of the animals can do that. You can just feel a little bit from them, the soul coming out in that form of life. We don't find in amoebas and in ants much of that, you know, thank you, insects or, or trees and so forth to the same extent. But as consciousness evolves through different species of life that greater facilitate the expression of itself, then we find that. So we find some instances of love being shown by animals. You know, that famous one where the tiger, the lion was raised by the by the people and then given to the some jungle caretaker and, and then years later went to visit the lion. There's a video of the lion runs up and embraces them and so forth. 
So sometimes we see this, this uh, because consciousness in that form of life is just about to take human birth in the next life. Hmm? So we'll, we, we, we'll find that some ability to express gratitude, love, thank very much there in the cows, we find we can feel they're, that they're thankful for being taken care of the way they are here, for example, at Aldari and Ardari and so forth. And so in human life, this reaches a pitch, right? We can love in human life. We can do things voluntarily. We make choices. We can choose to resist the call of our senses and our mind towards taking, to the, to, towards animality and so forth. Hmm? So Krishna is saying here to Nandamar, so, so let's, let's focus on what's, what's important, what's dear to us. Hmm? And he says, the cows. So cows in Indian society, they're a representation of divinity. Cows, as we say, they, they civilize human society. And if human society is civilized, then in culture, like, for example, when human beings stopped just moving everywhere out of necessity for their sustenance, you hunt and gather in an area, and then there's nothing more to hunt. You've got to go to the next area. You've got to go to the next area. In this type of lifestyle, there's not a lot of time to think, except where are we going to go now to get our next meal? Hmm? But with the domestication of cows or the domestication of humans by the, by the influence of cows, as I like to speak about it, then, then this thinking part of humanity starts to come. So as you think about tilling the fields and, and so forth and so on, so that, that gives you time. This gives you time. And it used to be that because this an agrarian-based society would be very... Um, a deal with essentials. It's not a, you know, a capitalistic uh, society where we just create non-essentials and market them to people to create a, you know, a bubble e- economy that you know is due to explode, and uh, and then people have all their attachments to things they don't even need in the first place, and they think there's an economic crisis. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have all the artificial needs that were fostered upon them. Um, Creating an artificial economy, they wouldn't they wouldn't be depressed. Mm-hmm. What's the depression? We don't have enough things, and we and we, and we, we <laughs> so <laughs> so um, so with thinking then comes philosophy also. So the idea is that in the Vedic culture, the cows gave rise to you know give rise to humans to think. They give them time to think and and pursue philosophy and and then. And to, and, and to go inward, and to go inward is to find real meaning, like we said before, go within or, or go without. Hmm? Substance is within, hmm? the value is, is within. And so the sacred texts, they talk about that inwardness, um, going within rather than without, and finding the self, finding consciousness, what you are, different from matter, and so forth. And, 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 um, and so this then is what human life is for. It finds its purpose. It finds, it finds through, the, through the inward reach and reasoning then in conjunction with revelation. Hmm? We find how to grow the self, so to speak, the consciousness, how to grow in terms of giving, in terms of love. It comes to bhakti, ultimately, and braj bhakti, hmm? prem, 
Hmm? Uh, so cows, Krishna said, this is, you know, let's start here. Hmm? Bhakti begins, they're, they're here, they're dear to us. They were, they were considered then by the Hindus to be a representation, a representation of divinity. The devas, they come from the, uh, from, from the cows because, um, you know, you, you have, you live with the cow, you have to make sacrifices to raise the cow and so forth and, and so on. From the, from the, from the, from the cow, you would get the butter and it would turn into ghee and the ghee would be used for sacrifice. Hmm? So it was considered that, that as much as cows domesticated humans, cows gave rise to philosophy, to religion, to the devas, gods, to the, to the, um, uh, to, to the opportunity to sacrifice and so forth. So they were seen like this very central. So Krishna says, let's just focus on the cows. Why don't we do it? And what, and, and what, where do the cows derive their livelihood practically for us here? From Govardhan Hill. Govardhan Hill represents the whole of the Braj, this area, this, this, um, this domain, this dham of, of, of the prem, that love consciousness, love of God consciousness corresponds with. So, according to your consciousness, then there's a place, right? You and I could be in the same room, but be in a different place, right? All together. We could be on a different page. Hmm. Um, you know, a fly might land on my, on my arm, be close physically, but hopefully we're very far apart in terms of consciousness, which is then where we really are. So that subjective reality you know, largely determines the objective reality, the perception of it. Hmm? And so there's a place beyond time and space, if you will, that corresponds with praying, with love of God. Hmm? And the biggest thing in that place is the Govardhan. Hmm? It stands up this hill, mountain, and it towers over, and it knows everything, because you can see everything that's going on. Hmm? That hill can see everything that's going on. So he doesn't miss a trick. So the worship of the Govardhan is like Govardhan is the prominent manifestation within the brudge and the cows, and they're connected. The grasses are growing on the Govardhan; it's providing for the cows. So Krishna says, "Let us do a yagya sacrifice. We worship Govardhan." And again, Govardhana means to increase the livelihood of the cows, which is to increase our livelihood. We're cowherd people. So he first he advocates the worshiping of the cows and he worships and he worships the hill. He wants to teach here that this hill, which is a prominent, the most prominent manifestation in Braj, um, he wants to teach that the Braj, this place and I are non-different. This place and I, Aradhi Bhagavan Brajeshatanayata Dhamma Brindavanam, that this this Dham and, and and the Godhead are one and the same. Hmm? So this is a very interesting and nuanced idea of advaigyan, non-dual consciousness. And so he begins then. So he convinces Nanda Maharaj anyway with his charm and and uh, very tender uh, descriptions there of vatsalya bhakti, parental love of God, love for Krishna, and the whole then yogya. Begins and then Krishna just kind of comes out with that. We'll offer pakoras and samosas and rice and dal and sweet rice. Everybody cook in a big way, hmm? so everybody's cooking and then we'll offer it to the hill. Hmm? And 
So he's like, I guess he just makes this up. It's all full of love. The Gaudiyas, they worshipped a stone from that hill. Raghunath Das Goswami was a dear disciple of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu gave him the stone from Govardhan that he used to wear uh, um, around his uh, neck and rub on his head and bathe with his tears and so forth. Hmm? And uh, the, the Smartas, which are another class of religious people who would be involved in the worship of Indra and so forth and see this as the be-all and end-all of religious practice, they they thought that, oh, this um, Raghunath Das is not from a Brahmin family, so Chaitanya didn't give him the, the Shalagram, which represents Vishnu Narayan, it gave him some stone from Govardhan. But uh, the fact is, Mahaprabhu taught him that this stone is to be worshipped only with love, not with ritual with full love, with a full heart, in ragmarg. Just like one will be attached to things, to be attached to Bhagwan, to God, like that. The same way that you're attached to your house. This is a leela of sharnag- sharnagati, this Govardhan leela. Sharnam also means house. So take shelter to find your house. Govardhan became the house. Krishna built a house. He lifted the hill and it became a house <laughs> for everybody in the Braj. It's the most prominent leela in the whole of the of the um, of the Vrindavan leelas, everybody in Braj, every single living being, was involved in it. Hmm? It's the height, in one sense, of um, Aishvarya, as far as being shown to everyone. Hmm? So we'll hear, for example, we'll go on in the aftermath of this in the evening's discussion, how bewildering it was. There was this beautiful son, Krishna, that everyone loved and friend, and, and so forth, and charming, caused this whole, the whole community to give up the yogya and, and, and do this made-up worship of the hill, and there were consequences. It came from that, huge consequences, and so forth. And he dealt with the consequences very effectively, showing himself to be the sustainer. The sustainer, the guptutvevaranam tata, rakshikshatitvishvashvo, the protector, that he didn't need any, any other protector, any other god or goddess. Any other, their sustenance would be derived anywhere else than from him and himself, being non-different from the dom. This dom is a, is 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 um, a place that corresponds with prem, love of God, and this is sustaining. Hmm? You have no. This is a place of no. You know, you see the bumper sticker, no fear. This is a place of no, uh, no, no fear here. Is the idea. This is the home, Sharanam. This is Sarvadharman put it, forget about the gods, Krishna says, just do Sharanam. To me, it means come home. Come home to the Braj. And the Braj means Govardhan. And the Braj means cows. And cows means religion. In an essential sense, it means sacrifice. It means the opportunity to think deeply. And if you think deeply, then you think. I exist, and I exist for a purpose, and the purpose is to love, and love will be full, and, and, it, and it's, it reaches its zenith of, of expression in love of God. Hmm? And if I'm to love God, I have to find that form of God that will accept it of all, all expressions of love. This is Krishna, Rasa, Raj. Hmm? He shows in the Govardhan Lila that he tastes all forms of love. It's mentioned in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. When Krishna lifted the Overdon Hill, which we'll get to, hmm? Hmm? then at that, a beautiful verse in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he tastes all the rasas. Hmm? 
as, as the taster. He takes the position of the ashrai. He's the vishai. Hmm? In Matura, he takes the place of the vishai. He's enjoying, he's the, he's the object of love for all different types of devotees and all different sentiments. In the Govardhan Leela, he, he experiences himself as the taster, rasika. He's rasa and he's rasika of all kinds of love. Hmm? So he, 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 uh, this is the, th- the theological end of it, so that it, it, it comes to, you know, we're dependent on cows, cows symbolize us, so, you know, and so on and so forth. And, and uh, in the context of civilization, we become philosophical, we become religious, we become givers, we become lovers, uh, and, and uh, this preem is the, is the fullest form of love. Hmm? Daswaswami worshipped the stone with his tears, and some Tulsi. Tulsi buds, hmm? Tulsi manjaris, no big ritual. Hmm? He offered him a milk sweet. Mahaprabhu said, you offer him sandesh, milk sweet, and, and give your whole heart. Hmm? So Krishna and his dham, non different from the, 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 these, are capable hmm, of taking comprehensively from us all that our heart may have to give. And we have a lot to give. We, we, if we give perfectly, we have to find a source that can take completely. Hmm? So Krishna wants to say, here, don't, you give in one place and you give everywhere. Hmm? You give to the center, you give everywhere. Don't give to Indra, he's like off-center. Hmm? <laughs> the god of the, the heavens and so forth. Hmm? And, and, and he brings it down. How, but he can't say directly, give to me, I'm God. That will interfere with the Madhurya, the sense that he's their Nandamaja's son. So again, the Bhagavad walks this tightrope between Madhurya and Aishvara. He wants to show that Krishna's God, but hmm, wants to show that that he he's an expression of the Godhead that affords intimacy and forgetfulness of that he's that he's God in order for that intimacy to take place. Hmm? So he can't just say, "I'm God; you should worship me." So he has to worship cows. Hmm? Right? <laughs> Worship the Govardhan Hill hmm? that the cows, uh, you know, are, are, are that are that's dear to the cows. Hmm? And here's how we'll do it. So everybody cooks so many chapatis, stacks of rice and sweet rice and so forth. Bring it all out here. Hmm? Put it around the hill, and and then. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll sing in praise of the hill and the cows, and and then uh, all all of the Vrindavan gets involved, hmm? and the hill responds. Hmm? We take from the Bhagavad and the hill responds. Hmm? Gopal Champaji Goswami describes it nicely. The hill became personified, and he said, "Oh, oh, 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 oh." Like this, and pointed his little finger up at Indra, <laughs> and he started eating, right? Eating, and all the people. I mean, this sounds fantastic, right? The commentators say the people of Brudge thought it was pretty fantastic too. How can a hill be eating? That's pretty fantastic. How can a hill be eating? Anyway, it's happening. There's one of the messages is there is a realm where. The word impossible is not in the dictionary, and that's worth going to, that place. <laughs> hmm? That place, and that place, that place 
is a place where love is fully manifest. Because in love, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. As we said many times, in love, one turns ornaments into faults. If you have faults and I love you, I tend to see those, those faults that other people will see as ornaments. Actually, they are good qualities. She's really nice when she does that. And so uh, this famous saying is, Mother called her blind son Lotus Eyed. Out of love, she could, she said, "Oh, my son, he's so beautiful." Even though he was blind, which means his eyes couldn't even open. She, his name is Lotus Eyes. She was blinded by her love. She turned his fault into an ornament. Hmm? So love has this power. Hmm? Love is the ideal in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and it's a wise love. But Krishna can't say, just love me. Just love the cows, love Govardhan. Hmm? And so anyway, they do this big yoga in the, in the hills eating. All things are, are possible in love. It's a magical, the world becomes magical. Uh, love turns dead things in, into living things, actually. Hmm? Even if you love someone and they die, you still think about them. You still feel they're with you, right? If you love them enough, and you think they're maybe speaking to you, and they're they're guiding you, and and so on. Of course, nobody really dies. That's another thing. So, <laughs> so love has the great power. This is the message of this lila, but, but one and all of the leelas of Krishna, really. But this in a prominent way. Love is the real power. Hmm? Krishna has charmed Nanda Maharaj by love and affection to forego this whole yagya. The hill is eating now. Hmm? And people are going, wow, <laughs> the hill is eating. Anything's possible. Mm-hmm. And and he's asking, more, give me more, anior, anior, give me more, give me more. So they're producing more and more. And and, um, and then when he stops, then it's sacrifice, it's given to everybody. Feed the Brahmins are fed first and worship, then everybody, everybody except Indra. Mm-hmm. And, and the hill is saying, you know, I'm not like him. I'm like you. I eat with you. We're here together. You eat. And he starts distributing. He, he's eating and he's giving it out to them. Hmm? So it's saying when you have love of God, then there's a kind of union and intimacy. Hmm? Like we find amongst the cowherds. Krishna and his friends, when they eat, hmm? in the forest, for example, in the Agasura Liva, Krishna's putting food in their mouth and and they're taking it out and putting it in his mouth, and it's like little children will do. And Brahma's looking at this and thinking, what kind of people are these people? They're uncivilized. Hmm? No, they love one another. They know no difference between one another. Hmm? When, in other words, when you love someone, you feel that person is an extension of yourself. They feel that you are an extension of their self. So, like I've said before, if you're walking along the street and somebody t- touches you, you go, oh, or you touch them, excuse me, I'm sorry. But if you love someone and they touch you, you don't go, oh, excuse me. Because you feel, this is my, this is this extension of myself. Mm-hmm. So this kind of love, love of God like this, in intimacy. Mm-hmm. These inhabitants of Braj, they personify that. Krishna can't interrupt that by saying, I'm God, so you should worship me. Mm-hmm. This Leela is for instructing us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, worship Govardhan, worship cows, and they do. And then the Indra becomes upset. Hmm? Oh, that the sacrifice has been... Now, these people are so foolish. A little boy, they're so infatuated by him. 
uh, has convinced them to give up this sacrifice to me, I'll show them. So then he begins to send the rains and the lightning and the clouds and, uh, and uh, his idea is hmm, how he wants to kill the cows. This is his thought, the livelihood of the people. Hmm? And so this is an example of how, another important part of Leela, how pride, hmm, um, what it, how it can degrade one. Because Indra is proud. I'm, I'm the chief of the gods. Who are these people? Earthly people. They're dependent upon me. They don't want to recognize me. And they're going to take the words of this of a, a, a young village boy instead. And so he shows his anger. His pride comes to anger, and Krishna wants to rectify that. He wants to show that even if you become a god, hmm, there's something lacking still. This is not the goal. Hmm. We speak of going to heaven, to becoming the king of heaven. Hmm? is the king of the heavens. So people want to go to heaven by religion. He says, what's big going there? Even if you could become the king of heaven, you'd still be, your life wouldn't be perfect. Hmm? You'd be susceptible to pride and anger and so forth. So he wants to chastise him and make a, make a, make a spectacle of his pride and anger that everyone may learn. Hmm? Uh, such, a, such an important lesson. This pratishtha, this sense of having a, a position and so forth, this is the root of all evil in bhakti. Hmm? The root of all anarthas, this uh, wanting to be Acknowledged as uh, 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 distinct. Bhakti is not about distinguishing ourselves from others. It's about coming close to others. Hmm? Not about positions and so on and so forth. So, Indra's got a big position. It means the chief. He's the chief. He's the big cheese. You know. So, um, anyway, to, to diminish his pride, then this is another reason for the leela. Hmm? And so he sends all the rains, and everyone. What Krishna? Then so Krishna lifts the hill. However, that happened. He lifts up the hill and holds it with one finger like this, and everybody comes under the hill, and they're having a festival underneath there. And it looks poetically like Krishna lifting an umbrella, and the rain is dripping off like pearls. Hanging on the sun, like you've seen a decorated umbrella with pearls and so forth, and they use it to shade you from the sun or protect you from the rain, and, and everything becomes all of the all of the the storm and the the inauspiciousness sent by Indra is all turned into something beautiful and wonderful hmm? for everybody. They're having a, they're having a better day than an ordinary day. Hmm? They're under the hill. They look up, and there's a hole inside the hill. And Krishna sends them up inside. Hmm? And there they find it's all lit up by the jewels inside of the hill, and, and, and there's there's water flowing inside the hill, and so forth, and chambers, and so they're all they're all having a party, a festival in there. Hmm? They don't even extent of the and he's and Indra uh, uh, feel any 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 influence of Indra, and he's throwing everything he has at them. Hmm? He sends the rains, he sends the clouds, and then he asks for a report. The clouds say, nothing's happening. He sends a lightning bolt. Go and, you know, bolt the hill, you know, and crash the hill down and so forth. And the lightning comes and and Govardhan just laughs like, 
thank you. Scratch over here, will you? <laughs> Just like, like that. And the reports come back to Indra. And, and finally he realizes that he's made a big uh, mistake. Hmm? Uh, one of the demons comes uh, uh, as... Um, Representatives come to him and says, you're doing a great job, Indra. Keep it up. And he thinks, wait a minute here. Something's wrong. The demons are praising me. I must be demonic. Hmm? So what have I done here? You know, I've, how, how, how bewildered I've become by my attachment to position. Hmm? Um, so we have to guard against this very much, attachment to position. Uh, bhakti means, you know, we just do what we're told. We're just happy to be to be told what to do and and, and how to do it and so forth. It just it makes it all very easy. In one sense, you don't have to think. If you think is this far to get to bhakti, then you can stop thinking. <laughs> just do as you're told. No, just serve. Uh, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Oh, okay. Hmm? So our resistance and all this, we have to think of Indra at this time. Hmm? We want to do it our way, and we're proud, and so forth, and so forth. So this is to break all this down. So, Indra realizes his position, and uh, he's made a big mistake, and he remembers, oh yeah, Vishnu, he's incarnated on earth. And, but the form of Krishna, muyanti yatsuraya, as it said in Bhagavatam, opening, opening, opening sloka, bewildering even for the gods. So the Brahma is an example, Brahma, Mohan Lila, this Lila. With Indra, these are examples. Even the gods can't understand. Even they know he's on, incarnate on earth. He's so sweet in his incarnation. He's so human-like. He brings us, comes so close to the human heart. Hmm? Bhakti is so close to the human heart. You just kind of like take the human heart and focus it over here, and bhakti comes. Hmm? Entirely. Hmm? You're just focusing it somewhere. It's a little off-center. That's what's put it in the right place, and bhakti will flow. Hmm? So Indra can't recognize him. Then he then he has a flash. Oh yes, it's Vishnu incarnated. The gods. It's oh, he comes to his senses, and then he wants to make uh, make good. I mean, he shows some remorse and so forth. So he stops the rains, and the hill goes back down, and. Will he continue with the balance of of this in the evening discussion? Any question? Yes. Guru, I had a question. You were saying how um, even some animals can show love to a degree, and on like the trees and lower species, they're less conscious. So, understanding that the soul transmigrates through this evolution. Does that mean that, um, and even birth being the highest, does that mean that if somewhere along that line, like you find a particular animal that's like very conscious, very loving, that they're closer to being taking human birth? Right. Than one that's, like say even in the same species that's not. Yeah. It's more animal. And right. It's more... Right. Like their cows that live at ashrams. <laughs> For example, and they use the, their milk is all used in the service of the deity and so forth. They're special cows. Yeah, they're more evolved. Yeah. Of course, it's not that a tree is more conscious or, or less conscious. It's that consciousness is less manifest in the tree's body. Consciousness has the facility, the vehicle, to be more manifest than, for example, in the human. It's the same consciousness. It's the same 
Advaigyan, you know, this uh, unit of, of non-dual knowledge. And it's experiencing duality through the experience of the world filtered through the vehicle of that, that body, the senses, the mind, or whatever may be the case. Human life, human senses. Why the senses are so important to us? Because they are important. They are important. It just they, they, to, to, to use properly, then wow, that's that's so uh, so so helpful for human society. They're, they're vehicles. They're, they have a purpose. So to be used in relation to bhakti, for example. Another question? Yes. Um, I think I heard your one of your uh, talks maybe two three years back on the trees in Vrindavan. Krishna talks about the trees in Vrindavan hmm. and how glorious their lives are because uh, everything they use for the welfare of others. Uh, so I'm just saying that they are not conscious but still they somehow can do something maybe similar to cars or something like that because like he talks about everything, every part of the tree is used for the the idea there is that that in human consciousness, if if it's allowed to evolve and grow, hmm, spiritually grow by giving, then it it tends to see everything. In a different, you know, in a different light, with gratitude and respect. So it's growing, but it's becoming smaller. Hmm? It's feeling dependent upon others uh, rather than independent, hmm? and and more more filled with gratitude and appreciation and affection for everything. So the tree, an inanimate, you know, a non-moving, I should say, entity. It, see, it sees how much it's providing, how much greater it is than doing so much more and so forth. This is a, the way of seeing on the part of a self, a unit of consciousness that's actually uh, growing. It's kind of growing by getting kind of smaller, seeing itself as small, seeing and then projecting the bigness of other things. But that ability to do that is what makes the human body a a more suitable vehicle for consciousness. Whether the tree can consciously appreciate humans or whether the humans are appreciating the tree in ways that itself can't appreciate you know, what it's doing. And that's all, that's all, of course, what's being described is from a human perspective, it's seen. Right? From a human perspective. So... So yeah, the trees are great. Hmm? When seen through the eye of a of a human that's actually growing and is actually great, growing by becoming by understanding its smallness and its dependence and so on and so forth. Hmm? So again, love makes does this to the world. It animates the world. It sees, it finds good where it's not. It finds greatness. The real magnanimity is in human consciousness, but it's finding it in the tree. Hmm? 
Another question, comment? What's the time now? Here, any questions? No. No. 1040? 1040, what time do we start? 9 o'clock. Okay. So, we'll stop there and then we're going to continue again at what time? 530? 5? 530, I think. 530, this evening. Shri Gurajaku Vadan Ki Jai. Guru Vashnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai. Sivakti Vedanta Sami Prabhat Ki Jai. Bhakti Raksukshita Deva Sami Mahara